come back Your dreams were your ticket out Welcome back To that same old place that you laughed about Well, the names have all changed since you hung around But those dreams have remained and they've turned around Who'd have thought they'd lead you? Who'd have thought they'd lead you? Back Episode 1766 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Riley of Fangraphs, and I am joined today by a longtime friend of the show, host of the show, Jeff Sullivan. Hello. How are you, friend? I'm okay. So what, I, I understand this is the first time Ben has had a taste of freedom from the podcast, and like he was, he would have been so reluctant to ever take a break, which I know because he potted on his wedding day, but like now that he's actually done it, I wonder, you might never get him back. Well, I would I would perhaps submit that keeping a newborn alive who really is just in the most adorable, lovely way possible, completely useless for <laughs> several months slash years is perhaps not entirely a break. But yeah, this is this is Ben's first prolonged absence from the pod in quite some time. And yeah, I I will be keen to see like when he is when he wants to return. I think it'll be soon. My understanding is soon. Hopefully that's vague enough for our listeners to not ask a lot of follow-up questions about an email, but soon. I seem to recall when one of us and more likely me would uh, would go away on like a trip for for a couple of weeks, then yeah. it was urgent for us to record like three episodes in a day so that <laughs> we wouldn't uh, be off schedule. So I'll be curious to see how, how that part of his brain functions at the at the other end of this. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that among new parents, he is probably one of the least sleep-addled, sleep-loss-addled, rather, um, just because of how little he slept to begin with, or at least for extended chunks. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I have been grateful that uh, I think I had one week in the last month where I only recorded two episodes, and people were really nice about that. <laughs> and um, I appreciated their kindness because, uh, you know, like ben, ben and his wife had a baby, but I had a postseason. So <laughs> really, which of those is harder? We know the answer to that. It's the baby. But the postseason ranks, you know, among the times. I'm very tired. I told you before we started recording that I feel like I have maybe two remaining functional brain cells or at least two awake brain cells. But we have two more World Series games, so... Hopefully that's enough. <laughs> well, as you know, the discourse is all about how the games are keeping people up until 1230 or, or one in the morning. Not unlike a child, except that the, the child gets you up again at like five in the morning, which yeah. the baseball games don't do. I think that like we we have to much like a baby. This is just going to be the theme of the episode, I guess. Um, you know, Between we have two to childless adults. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, we have to we have to fuss over the game, you know, to make sure that like it's thriving and healthy and you know eating regularly and not rolling off a table onto the floor as babies are sometimes want to do. But I I do find the the consternation around start time to be a little puzzling. When I think the thing we should all be getting really riled up about is time of game because i submit to you jeff that if games started on the east coast at six and they still lasted four hours and and ended at 10 people would be no less grumpy they might be slightly better rested but they wouldn't be any less grumpy about a four-hour game so i think uh you know we have to acknowledge we're a, a big country with multiple time zones 
And an, an 8 p.m. start kind of splits the difference in a useful way for the folks who don't live on the East Coast. And we could try to make the game a, a little bit shorter and, and then everyone would be happy. And we could stop talking about it, maybe. I'd love to know ratings breakdowns by time zone based on the teams who are involved because oh, yeah. it's it's quite possible like east coast teams should start at five eastern and west coast teams should start at eight eastern or yeah. whatever because nobody in boston like if there's a giants dodgers game how many people in boston or new york are watching that i know people it's like baseball fans are going to watch anything but they really don't right like right. we have a pretty good understanding of that so you know ideas that no one will will listen to but you know uh get rid of this primetime idea because it's not a national sport anymore yeah, I would be some. I would be. Uh, I think for the World Series, you got to just stick that sucker in prime time. But I think that a bit more scheduling flexibility for the earlier playoff rounds strikes me as reasonable. You know, I know that the Dodgers had like a two p.m. playoff start, like local time. That's ridiculous. You can't. <laughs> You can't ask that of folks. And then people are like, there's no one at this game. And I'm like, well, yeah, they're working. You know, they're at, normally they show up by the fourth inning just because LA traffic is so bad. That's not a knock on attendance. It's just a knock on your terrible traffic, Los Angeles. But, you know, asking people even for a playoff game to do a, a midweek 2 p.m. start strikes me as, as asking a lot, even of dedicated baseball fans. We got to, you know, get paychecks so that we can buy salad and water and pay our electric bills and what have you. Sometimes people will tell you, like, if you're if you're a fan or whatever, that if it doesn't matter how long a playoff game is because it's really intense, right? It's all high stress and, like, everything is important. So even a four-hour game can feel like it's a, a three-hour game. But I can tell you that a four-hour playoff game feels like a 20-hour playoff right. game. It is objectively unpleasant to watch the playoffs <laughs> when you have games that are even longer than the regular season. And a lot of those games are unpleasant, too, but very differently unpleasant. But yeah, it's so hard. I, I am. I'm very blessed. I, I've joined a team that was already good. And so they've made the playoffs three years in a row. And so I yeah. have stuff to do three Octobers in a row, which is great. And also really bad. Uh, yeah. It's really hard to do that. So I would I would I would I'm generally in favor of things uh, shortening up. But now I don't want to just come off like another Rob Manfred. Well, I think that we can make it zippier, you know, like I think your, your your aim is not to make it short for being short sake, but to make the action feel kind of fun and zippy because yeah, the, the stakes in the postseason are super high in every, in any given moment, but I don't think we experience that moment to moment. I think we experience those stakes in the aggregate and it can be hard to keep track of them when you're in hour four. That's asking a lot of people. I don't think we need to doubt their dedication to say, like, we could we could move this along, couldn't we? Like, the pitch clock works pretty well. I think um, let's use a pitch clock. We could have a few, few fewer commercials, but that won't happen. So, like, the pitch clock is just good for the game anyway. Why don't we just do that thing? But how will people know to buy Roman products if they don't get so many commercials? Oh Did God. I hear you snapping in the background when you said zippier? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Sorry. there's only one way to say zippy, and it's using several of your organs. Yeah, you gotta. Well, because I don't have an accordion, <laughs> um, which is generally how I would indicate that something is is zippy. Like you know, you're you're riding through the Italian Riviera on a, a lovely cruiser bike, and there's an, a playful accordion in the background as you experience your full Italianness. Well, yeah, you don't have an accordion, but you do have a Dylan. So Dylan, insert accordion. Accordion, background. yay, accordion. I want to ask you about the experience of watching a playoff team that is your own, because I think people will be fascinated to learn how terrible an experience that can end up being. <laughs> but I first, I want to ask, so you have come on 
this pod at various points during your raise employment. And I know that you and I recorded an episode of Fangraph's audio question mark, like last March when we were all trapped inside and terrified. But I don't think that you have had occasion to speak publicly about the the first year after 2020. So I'm curious, Jeff, in general, did anything about your work experience change in the 2021 season relative to 2020? Because you sit in your office in Portland regardless. Like, how did your season preparation shift, if at all? And how is your day-to-day different, if at all? There was more of it yeah. yeah. over over the course of, so this is, you know, like uh, when, when I joined the raise, my, my supervisor told me like, you can expect this to be like a, I, I signed a two-year contract and yeah. it had some, some options and he told me to expect like basically a two-year onboard, which uh, at the time I was like, I'm pretty sharp. I can figure it, but like, I'm, I'm still learning. There's you know, right now, like right now with the playoffs there, there are so many like weird roster rule nuances that like yeah. I'm still picking up. So like every year has led to i'm very grateful for this but it's led to an increase in responsibilities and just like an an increase in i don't know like my presence or whatever you will but that also comes with like more exposure to to different things and so the day-to-day just kind of evolves as i have more to do or like like a a broader swath of thing of pies but can we have a better expression than like putting my fingers in the pies yeah because why would anyone do that they're never you you wreck the pie your fingers hot and sticky (laughs) that's terrible phrasing too (laughs) i regret we can edit all of this out. Oh, yeah, so, uh, like for for a few months there at the at early uh, spring of 2020, I was taking a lot of walks like around the park and, and getting paid some sort of money for it. And then, you know, we came up with like some fun little side projects to do stuff to keep busy and, you know, be good for cohesion among the employees while they're yeah. remote, et cetera. And a bunch of stuff like attempted prep for the season. But 2020 was just weird. And so for a few months, it was a pretty light schedule. I remember in like... April or May, I was posting, like sharing the, this information I saw from spring training. I was like, I, I don't know if this is still relevant. Right. These, I don't know. Maybe these pitchers are going to be sick, et cetera. But like 2021 right. felt like a, a pretty normal season, you know, going into the playoffs last year and, and making it to the World Series. Like at the start of the playoffs in 2020, it just started to feel as weird as things were. It started to feel like, all right, this is like a normal, intense baseball. And then right after the World Series, normal off-season trip, no CBA stuff to worry about. Just right. like here's teams are going to have less money, but here's what we think is going to happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So things have been pretty normal since like last October with the only real caveat there being like, I didn't go to spring training this year and I didn't yeah. travel as much because, you know, Florida slash right. other COVID stuff, but yeah. pretty, pretty normal year. When you, you don't have to reveal any state secrets here, obviously, but as you guys were looking to the start of the 2021 season, sort of conscious of your guys having one played an extra month of baseball and then also um, coming off a supremely strange season, was there any like obvious roster machinations that you engaged in to try to keep guys healthy and sort of (laughs) on sort of a normal track for what I imagine was kind of a weird year? I mean, like you saw Shane McClanahan get kind of like a, a late start to his regular season. You saw Lou Head go up and down and up and yeah. down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. So there was a lot of there was a lot of optioning and, and machinations in, in that regard. But, you know, like every team was going through the same stuff. I think 
one of the things that jumped out last offseason when the Mariners signed Chris Flexen is yeah. Flexen was like one of the only guys on the planet who threw like a bunch of innings in, right. in 2020. So like as much as that's like a small thing when you sign him, you think like actually that could make a big difference. And yeah. ultimately he, he stayed healthy, right, for, for yeah. the, the bulk of the season. So yeah. good job, Mariners and, and Chris yeah. Flexen. But, you know, outside of that, just like solving injuries, right? Like it's all it's all guesswork and like trying to just have the right intentions and try to be conservative. But we had McClanahan debut in the playoffs in 2020. And then like one way or another, kind of needed a full season out of him. And, and our goal was to have a seven month full season. So he was pitching in the playoffs. And, you know, we got pretty aggressive with Drew Rasmussen and we had mm-hmm. Shane Boz in the playoffs. Like, you know, if, if Chris Archer had been healthier he would have taken some of those innings and, yeah. and we gave a bunch of those innings to rich hill in the first half so there was there was stuff we did to try to build out the the length depth but i don't think it was anything that every team wasn't already thinking about was there any inter-team collaboration around the in- injury question going into the year because i imagine that you know you're gonna stress that as a competitive advantage but also there is something to be gained from a wisdom of a crowd in, in respect to injury prevention I don't know if I can answer that. Like, not you as a have... trade secret thing, but, like, yeah. I don't know if I know enough to answer that. I'm That's sure, like, fine. you know, the the trainers, the medical staffs, they, like, they communicate amongst yeah. themselves pretty often. But I don't know how much of that trickled to, to whatever my level is. Sure. Fair enough. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an open platform to, like, sing an ode to Wander Franco. Would you like to sing a song? If you don't, would you like to say some nice words about him instead? <laughs> I don't have any lyrics prepared, but like he's really good, right? And like, yeah, uh, it's funny. There is, <laughs> <laughs> there is a straight in in spring trading of uh, of 2021, which is this year still. Uh, there is a, like he struck it. I don't know, like six times in, sure. in spring training, but just because it's it's Wander Franco and because one of the things is like he makes a ton of contact. I remember like he hit this big home run and went over like the offices in Port Charlotte and it made the rounds. It went viral because it's Wander Franco and he hit a big giant home run. You're like, mm-hmm. he's 20 years old and he hit that home run. And then he also had these strikes and you're like, oh, because you just kind of get it in your head. Like, even though, you know, if you step back, you know, he's a very good player. You know what the stable skills are. You see right. him strike out a few times in spring training. You're like, uh, something doesn't seem right. <laughs> and at, at the start, when he came up to to the majors uh, debuting against Boston, which was a fun change of pace because it happened right after we got swept in four games in Seattle, which was a low point of my season. But then he came <laughs> up and it was great. But like he after that first game against Boston, he, he took a little time to, to find his, his footing. And yeah. he wasn't really like tearing the cover off the ball to say nothing of how difficult an environment it was for rookie hitters this uh, yeah. this year because it's hard to do. But by the time like uh, the All-Star break in, in August rolled around, he basically stopped striking out at all. I think he went, what was it, like 40 or 50 plate appearances without a strikeout. And this is this is this is us like we're a team that strikes out some yeah it was, it was a famously very <laughs> a very different feeling kind of a bat and i don't need to tell you wonder franco's good everybody knows wonder franco is uh is good but like the defense kind of exceeded my own expectations yeah the energy is just so infectious like everybody can see this this isn't like team insight like you can tell Right. This kid is is obviously special. Anyone who like you you read about him in the minors if you're like a fangirl street or whatever, but you haven't really seen him yet. Right. Watch him in the majors, and you get it immediately. Like uh, it it shines through without any question. And he's not even he's he's not even as good as he's likely to be to become. Right. Uh, which is it's it's great. Yeah. One of the things you kind of struggle with, like Brandon Lau got off to a, a bit of a slow start this past season, right? And he wound up hitting like a million home runs and dropping yep. in a million runners. Like great season by Brandon Lau. 
but you think back like we had a lot of people struggling in the playoffs last year and then this season gets started and you're like, I don't know, the numbers aren't really there yet. And one of the biggest adjustments, and I guess you didn't ask about this directly, but indirectly, one of the biggest adjustments this year working for a team relative to the year before is there was a hundred more games yeah. this year. And I can't speak for everyone, but I kind of forgot what a full season feels like. Yeah. And so emotionally, like it was hard when you have guys struggling at the start of the season to remember like, oh, there's like a lot of time though for this right. to normalize. So like, you know, I became irrationally concerned about Wander Franco at first because he wasn't hitting 300. I became irrationally concerned about Brandon Lau at first because he wasn't hitting whatever. And he turns around, he's like one of the best hitters in, in the major leagues the last right. four months of the year. It's just like, oh, right. I forgot that this season finds its level if you give it time. Yeah, you you don't have to, if 15 games are sort of a slump, you don't have to really worry about it because that's not a quarter of your season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, guys can just sort of adjust and, and be on their way and, and look really good. It's funny, obviously the stakes on the public side for this sort of thing are like very, very different than they are on the team side. But I don't know, you want good baseball players to play good baseball and and sort of dazzle us with that because it's way more fun to watch guys who are succeeding than guys who are struggling. We feel bad about that. We like, you know, it pokes at our tender feelings. But when you have a guy who's been 80 you're like, could you be good, please? It would be really nice <laughs> if you could be good because we've said that you'll be very, very good. So can you do that? And then Wander was like, yeah, I got you. It's fine. I yeah. mean, he didn't say those words, but he communicated that to us with his play in a way that I felt really good about. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, this all kind of goes without saying, but like, everybody knew how special Wander Franco was. Yeah. But of course, what that means is Wander Franco knows how special everyone expects him to be. Right. And like, that can be like motivating or whatever. But like, I crumble if I get four text messages like within 20 minutes because yeah. I can't handle any pressure. Like <laughs> to be able to do that at, yeah. at that age, and I mean, it just, it boggles me. It's just a level of, level of humanity that I can't even really do. Yeah, I know that like, People, uh, this is a this is going to be a weird start to this this thought. Are you ready? I know people come to orthodontia at different times, <laughs> and so like you know there are plenty of people who are full grown adults, and like that's when they get braces. But you you look at him and you're like, you're not yet twenty one, and as if to put an exclamation point on that particular thought, you literally are playing in the majors with braces. <laughs> it is just such a perfect meld of like aesthetic with reality. I just it's very good like it's very good i so. wonder what that what impact that has on like whatever it hit are his preferred like dugout snacks oh you know? yeah like, i've never thought about braces and sunflower seeds before yeah i mean like and like gum you know um that would be a, a complete disaster i am often amazed by how many bearded men confidently chew gum and then blow bubbles um i've probably expressed this thought before but it is a, a degree of risk taking that i would not be comfortable with in my life it's like aren't you gonna get little sticky bits in your like what if the bubble pops and then you get little sticky bits in your beard I don't know if you understand how much overconfidence plays a part in making it to the major leagues. And I think overconfidence <laughs> in one area has a relationship with overconfidence in others. Yeah, it tends to extend to other aspects of your life. I have a I have a very important rays-related question. You're going to blow the lid off of something. How can it be both a ray of light and a stingray, Jeff? Have you talked to anyone internally about this? It is a confused identity, in my opinion. Or isn't, is it not a very creative idea? I mean, art yeah. is all about how you interpret it, right? And so we have a, we have a, I'm buying, I'm just kind of like vamping here until I think of something else to say. But 
I like, look, I love, I love the Stingray. This is not, like, I think a lot of people yeah. love the Stingray. I love the Stingray tank. I love Stingrays. I've come fully, I have fully around. around. I was never, like, against Stingrays, but I've <laughs> You didn't I've have gone, an anti-Stingray yeah, stance? I went from neutral to strongly pro-rays of all kinds. And I wonder, like, I, I obviously wasn't around when when they yeah. had the, the name change back in 2007, 2008. But, like, I wonder if, if they were still the Devil Rays and the same people complained now, I wonder if it would, uh, if we would have just stuck to our guns. Or, yeah. or whatever but i mean the sing ray is great and it feels like the kind of thing that if we're fortunate enough to remain the rays long term etc like i wonder if we'll go the way of the padres and eventually there will be enough of a clamor to, like bring to back. it back yeah exactly yeah because i don't think that anyone like there are very few things that inspire a consensus on social media and i think that your guys's throwback uniforms are one of the things where i've, I've just never seen anyone in in modern time in current day baseball be like these uniforms are bad like everyone loves those throwbacks so it seems it seems like that could be a, a successful pivot if if the occasion ever you know arises for it. if the occasion arises arises they're so sharp like they're they're the most i don't know if they're the yeah. best uniforms of baseball and like alternates are weird i love the giants cream uniforms etc yeah. like they're really 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 good uniforms and i like the mariners have their like weird cream colored blue gold one that's beautiful yeah but like yeah, this is like these are three of the top five i think i guess i like cream yeah well i think that they they also fill a nice aesthetic void within the broader sort of uniform landscape because we got all this red and blue we got all this lousy red and blue and and so having teams that embrace something a little different than that um and you get the like kind of cool stingray ombre thing in in tampa i think it's really strong we should embrace uniforms that look different than you know all of the other uniforms it does make me appreciate like orange i think that i'd have a greater aversion to like the astros orange or even the giants orange if it were not just a, a really welcome bit of difference in a landscape that is otherwise you know Red and blue. Like, you shouldn't have the potential to be confused about what team is on the field at any given time. You should know. <laughs> as soon as you turn on the TV, you should be like, aha, I know who is up to bat. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, they make you work for it for at least five seconds, and I resent it. I think you should just be able to tell right away. Oh, I snapped again. Terrible. You did. I wonder if this is, like, this is a particular era where people are really in favor of race throwbacks and everyone's throwbacks because we've brought back the 90s again. Yeah. Like, uh... So it might just be that this is all going to be cyclical and pretty soon people are going to want neutral boring shit, like whatever the Padres were before the Brown. They're like weird sand and khaki. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. Well, right now people are expressive again. It's we're coming out of the pandemic. Parentheses. Right. No, we're not. But no, we're not. But we're, we're going to express ourselves again. We're going to be around people. And we like big, bold, vibrant patterns and colors like the raised throwbacks. And then, right. you know, give it a few years and they'll be like, eh, we're drones again. Let's go back to blue and blue. And that's why every article of women's clothing that I have had occasion to purchase over the last year has been like weird and sack shaped. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. Fashion is really confusing to me. You said that you're, you know, your fingers in a lot of different pies. You're spinning multiple plates at once. Is that better? You're trying to keep multiple plates. I mean, it's better, but why would you ever do that? I know. I, I mean, like maybe you're in a carnival. I guess we can go with wearing a lot of different hats, right? Like that kind of does. You're wearing the... a lot of different hats. Yeah. Can you say anything more specific? about the different kinds of hats that you're wearing you know it's actually also kind of true because of the, i was never a hat person until i joined a baseball team now i have like oh. nine different raised hats so yeah. I, I literally do wear a lot of uh, different hats although not all at the same time but there's a lot <laughs> that goes into an organization right yeah. like there's 
there's your own scouting, amateur and professional, and there's your own player development. There's like the the little kind of stuff like Fangross would like to write about. Like here's adjustments this major league player can make, etc. Right. Or like here's a breakdown of what this other team does. Here's like an overview of the market landscape. It's a lot of like if if you were a writer at Fangraphs, unless you have like a specific niche, but think of you know the the Dave Cameron Fangraphs years. Dave would write about a lot of different subjects that were all right. under the the pro baseball umbrella, but like they would touch on scouting and play all, all the stuff I already said. So like yeah. there's there's a bunch of uh, different things that I'm you know I'm I'm no amateur scout, and so I <laughs> I tend not to to weigh in there because my word is worth less than zero and and there's other areas where like i just don't really have much much insight but i'm grateful enough to be trusted enough to at least have a, a window into a variety of different areas where i've developed some confidence and and some some further understanding in the years that i've been doing this and so it feels a little fangraphsy in that regard like in a good way yeah where i have a lot of autonomy to like analyze what seems to be relevant and uh, I don't remember what the other thing was I was going to say, so I'm sure that I'll interrupt you with it in about 15 seconds. Well, do you want to talk about the soul-crushing experience of the playoffs? <laughs> did I just hear you snap again? No, I did like not. that a knuckle? Oh, that <laughs> time I did not snap. Maybe one of my joints popped. I, f- I find that I have very loose joints, but I'm not flexible. What's that about? Yeah, I'm finding looser, like, uh, you wake up now with, like, a stiff Achilles and you start Googling it and it just, you type it into Google and it's just like, you're old and you're like, oh, I guess. Oh, right. Thanks for the direct answer, WebMD. Yeah. Uh, the soul crushing, here's here's a way in which the playoffs are soul crushing. In game two of this year's ALDS, we, Shane Boz gave up two in the top of the first thing to the Red Sox and then uh, the Rays rallied in the bottom of the first and Jordan Luplo hit this uh, this grand slam off Chris yeah. Sale and it was five to two and the, and the stadium was going crazy and I sat, I, I was there. And I was sitting in the row, celebrating, waving my whatever the towel is. By the mm-hmm. way, all towels should be white or yellow or something bright. The, like the blue towels, get out of here. Nobody can see them. They don't show up on camera. <laughs> Terrible idea. Uh, yeah, okay. Like the Dodger Stadium towels or whatever, they, they didn't look good at all because they're too dark. Anyway, I'm sitting there in the upper row and I'm thinking like, wow, this is awesome. First of all, the Grand Slams are great. Uh, especially when it works out with the platoon advantage like you yeah. wanted to when he put Liplo in the lineup and we we're going to sweep this series. And in the rest of the game, we were outscored 12 to 1 yep. and we did not win again. <laughs> so that's a way in which the playoffs are uh, are soul crushing because the momentum people are wrong. Yes. <laughs> it does not exist. Yes. And what you have to, even, even those, uh, I, I'm not some like Zen genius of the baseball industry, but even those of us who like work for a team and have the mystique of like, we're smarter. Like, no, we all have to convince ourselves, reconvince ourselves every two weeks that momentum is an illusion. It doesn't, right. nothing cares over. Look at the ALCS this year. Look at the ALDS right. this year. Like it just, it doesn't mean anything. It, whatever happens, happens. And I mean, the, the ways in which we lost so the last two games in, in Boston were differently unpleasant. But I can at least say that even though it's more disappointing to lose earlier than like making the World Series the yeah. year before, it is easier to get over because you're like, well, there was there was a lot more steps after this anyway. So right. like, you know, we might not have won the World Series, whereas last year we were literally halfway to winning the World Series. So yeah. it was it was hard, but you just have to remind yourself, well, we won a hundred games. We won the best division in baseball. This had, it was yeah. an extraordinarily successful season. I don't think it's saying too much to say that, like, of the 10 teams that made the playoffs, probably the worst one is currently leading the World Series. So, like, yeah. things 
things happen this month. And yep. like this is a different conversation. Full credit to the Braves for, for their approach. This is like I think a really good lesson for the industry to to learn what they've been able to do this year but like it really is just a a a silly month i prefer to pay attention to the previous six where we won 100 games it was great i'm very proud of the team and uh try to win 100 in uh next season yeah i there was a moment i think during the alcs gosh was it the alcs it must have been the alcs where they the fox broadcast started with the back and forth between boston and Houston, and here's who had momentum, but then this other team recaptured it. And then they went to, the, and I was like, you're just disproving momentum. Like you're you're making an argument against momentum as a real thing in sports, which I agree is not, does not mean we do not emotionally experience momentum as a thing that feels real, even if we know intellectually that it's like not really a thing. But you do have to actively reconvince yourself of that every little while because it's easy to get caught up in the swell of feeling when someone wins big or loses big. Like you just assume they'll never win again. If I were a major league hitter, I'd be terrible. But like I would just, if I had any kind of a slump, I would just assume like I've lost the ability to hit. I'll never get it back. I'll not hit forever. Like that's, that's what I would assume. Right. The experience of momentum is either we'll never win again or we'll never lose again. That's it. But like yeah. after, what was it? The Yankees won like 13 games in a row this year. I think it was like one of those super long uh, yeah. winning streaks. And then immediately after that, they became the worst team in baseball for right. like the next 15 games. Yeah. Like just look at, we we were all, wait, they were, they were playing Oakland on like Sunday night baseball, right? And they had their winning streak active and then they lost. Yeah. And we were, we, a lot of people were watching that being like, oh my God, the Yankees lost. The Yankees lost a bunch of times this year. <laughs> they lost mm-hmm. a bunch of times right after that winning streak, but right. whatever. I mean, so much of sports conversation is cyclical anyway. We might as well continue to have this conversation, but like some really great examples of how momentum doesn't exist <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. We've had, you know, we've had a number of instances of that. Like, you know, the Cardinals felt like they would never lose again. And then they lost a little bit and then they lost. <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> Um, and Adam Wainwright was grumpy with us for a day and then I think moved on probably. I think Adam Wainwright was grumpy with his idea of what you are. Adam Wainwright doesn't know. I also think that he was at least half kidding about the whole thing. Like these are the moments where you're like, I wish there were a video of this so that I could kind of interact with the tone in which this quote was delivered, Mm -hmm. which I I don't say as a knock on, on Jesse's reporting of it. That's, that's not what I mean at all. But I do think that it's one of those things that taken within the context of of Twitter can, can read one way, but with tone might've read a little more, at least lighthearted than it, than it did at the time. But it did give me an opportunity to say words about like how probability works. And that's always a a well-spent day. So I guess that's something. So you, were you physically present for all of, of the Rays playoff games? Were you there from start to finish traveling here and there? No. I didn't go to Boston. I, I came home to watch those games. And I wouldn't... Okay. The, exp- <laughs> the, the experience of rooting for a team in a hostile environment is not like a fun one to replicate. No. Uh, certainly not in Boston. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I had a hard enough time, again, watching the Rays get swept in Seattle by like a team that I used to have a thing for. Right. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, that was like a deeply unpleasant part of my summer where, again, I thought, oh, we'll never win again. And then we won a bunch of games. Yeah. But... I mean, I guess like the option was there, like to go to Boston if if I wanted to, but yeah, it's not it's not something that I enjoy. I my plan, I wanted to go back, like have a quick turnaround, and if we're still live in the ALCS or the World Series, of course, I don't want to miss a single World Series game. But uh, right. we didn't have that. 
option. Yeah. You well, think about it this way. You didn't have to travel. You know, you got to stay home and um, not deal with TSA. So that's a small silver lining to yeah, it, I you're, suppose. Yeah, you're not wrong. My wife and I took an actual international trip that we just got back yeah, from. Yeah, you had to like a, do real vacation. Yeah, sort of like it was a, a half. She's she's doing a, a career thing, and I and I have off season prep, so like it was a, a half trip and like half working trip just to get a change yeah. of scenery. But like it was still like this is. <laughs> I don't know what listeners might say. A lot of people who work for teams that aren't active, they're not like watching the playoffs for the World Series. Like right. you're kind of aware of them, but like I'm not. I'm not staying up to watch these games. I don't care. <laughs> so like an advantage of working in the industry as opposed to being a writer is sometimes if you have the misfortune of losing early in the playoffs, if you make the playoffs, you don't actually have to keep working the playoffs to the rest right. of the month. You have two functional brain cells left. I have like 10 because I've been able to sleep more. What does in postseason work and prep look like? Like while the, while you're still alive in it, you know, you're sitting there, you're, you're facing the Red Sox. Like, what do you, what do you do, Jeff? <laughs> Uh, that is the question that I basically have in a whiteboard and I wake up every morning and I look at it and I punch it and I spit on the ground and I think I have absolutely no idea. So you kind of like poke around and queries and video and you're like, I think this guy tips this and like, right. You, you try to find these little things that maybe the, the actual advanced guys aren't doing and you're like, I don't know, we should throw this guy a lot of this pitch cause he's whatever. And then you get to game time and you're like, I don't think that. I did anything that makes a difference because no one, no one in this position could do anything that makes it at that point. It's just the players playing the games. Right. Like, and they're going to, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Kevin Kiermaier is going to hit a ball that like hits the fence and then the right fielder and then goes over the fence. And you're like, well, I couldn't have done anything for that. Yep. Yeah. Weird ground rule. Uh, I guess it's not a ground rule. It's just a real rule. But like outside of that, yeah, it's super weird. October is super weird for someone. Who, I mean, I know for any analyst, like you go in and you feel so much pressure to like find the thing that makes the difference. You want to be the yeah. guy with the Royals who's like, John Lester never throws a pickoff. And you're like, I saved the wild card game or right. whatever. But like that's, that's good luck. So yeah. You, you try and you try and maybe you find a thing that makes one fraction of one percentage of a difference but like when i was in saint petersburg before game one i was just talking to my boss like one of the one of the vps of of the team and another one of the vps of the team and it was in the afternoon so like a handful of hours before the game started and i didn't really know what to expect i hadn't been in the office during an active playoff series before oh and sure that afternoon we went to get coffee and tour the vp's new house so oh. That's what we did. <laughs> not, a, not to reveal trade secrets, but a lot of people at that point are just like, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen right. no, matter, no matter what I'm doing. Yeah. I think that it's useful for us. Like the, the place where this is really driven home for me every year is when we get into the weeds on managerial decisions. And I don't mean to say that like there aren't some managerial choices that are obviously the result of bad process. You know, like Ben Clemens spent like 2,000 words being like, so Dave Roberts, well, what was that about? Can we talk about this, please? And so I think that those are useful because thinking through the strategy of the game is in addition to like understanding it better, like kind of fun like that. We like that stuff. But you are reminded very often this time of year, like it really does come down to players being able to execute on being put in particular situations. And sometimes they're put in positions where they can really succeed. And sometimes it, their job is made harder by weird strategy, but they still have to do the thing at the end of the day. <laughs> and I would imagine that as a front office person, that is both liberating to a certain extent and also maddening because you really want to be able to, like you said, like be like, when was the last time 
John Lester threw a pickoff. We should do something <laughs> with that. That's useful for us to remember. I had forgotten how big a deal that was in that postseason. That was fun. Yeah, they mm. ran all over the place. I mean, yeah, it was so they much were just fun. Run, run, running. A lot of base running fun, I think, in, in this postseason. It seems like teams have been very active on the base paths in a way that I have found enjoyable. Yeah, we had a runner steal home. Yeah, which, that was... Which I think a lot of people <laughs> forgot, but we had a runner try to do last World Series in, like, game five. Yeah. And very nearly make it. So, like, that's... Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's uh, that's not. That was great. I, I, yeah, that's like I think Kevin Cash said. Like that was not that wasn't like a tip. No right. one was like, oh, we got this thing. Like no, Randy just read the room and he was like, I think I can score, and he did, and it was great. Yeah. Uh, and then, as everybody knows, we went on to sweep the World Series, and we have great. our parade in uh, in a week. Congratulations. Yeah, Randy Rosarini will carry all of the floats, but <laughs> just with one and with one hand. It's unreal, just with one hand. I I will say I was very happy for. I know that it did not end the way you wanted it to, but given the strangeness of the the Kiermaier only double, I was very happy that he went like two for three and had some nice defensive plays in in game four of that series. Like I doubt it. It blunted the feeling of disappointment too terribly much to not advance. But after the weirdness in Game Three, I was like, "Well, at least at least Kiermaier had a nice night. Like this is some good redemption for him." And then and then it wasn't. But like it was just for him. Like his line was nice. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't know how many. I don't. I'm not just here to like sing the praises of Kevin Kiermaier. I guess. But like, if anyone just kind of like writes him off as like, "Oh, he's another Ender in CRT or whatever." Like Kevin Kiermaier finished like elite defense and uh yeah and a league average batting line he was really good for like the last yeah. three or four months of the year like uh that was that was pretty exciting even if it uh yeah so again you can think of what's the if there was going to be a situation where like momentum had a big detrimental effect kk could have been like really down on himself and yeah just gone over in game four but no maybe our best player there yeah at, uh there at the end so yeah he had yeah. a great he had a great little night so you're you're in off-season mode at this point, as you said, what is, well, I guess let's ask this question two ways. So there's like the general, what do you, what do you typically do in the off season? And then there's the, what do you do in this off season? Because um, <laughs> we don't know, we don't know when we're going to get to do off season stuff like normal because the CBA. So what do you normally do in an off season, Jeff? And then what are you doing now? Well, thankfully, the answer to both questions is the same because there's really nothing like if there is going to be a long work stoppage and I should make clear I'm not withholding anything. I don't know. Right. Uh, I don't think anybody at my level. I don't even even the parties involved, like the parties directly involved, the union and the I bet even they don't know what's going to happen because how could they? They don't know who's going to quote unquote blink or whatever when when you come to a deadline. So whatever. We'll see what the progress is going to be yeah. in the next few weeks. But like. Yeah, we don't. We don't, here's the difference: is usual off-season prep. You know, you're mapping out the landscape. Who's going to have what money? Who are the free agents? Who are the non-tenders? All the usual stuff. Like, right? You want to get up to speed on what you think every team is going to try to do, because uh, if for no other reason, you want to f- try to suss out like what does every team need and what does every team have surplus of, so that then right. you can, you know, just to facilitate more efficient conversations on your own part so you don't have to talk to 29 other teams for every single thing right like let's just stand like i'm sure every team is is doing that standard kind of off-season prep minor league for agents all that and the difference this year is that when we have off-season prep meetings at some point in the meeting someone will raise the question how should we be factoring in the cba 
and then everybody shrugs and then 30 seconds pass and then you get back to normal. So there's like one additional question that no one has a good answer to in this right. year's off-season prep, but that's basically it. And if, if somebody out there has adjusted for the imminent weird new CBA environment, credit to them. Uh, I would be surprised if any team yeah. is ahead of it. But, you know, you, you try to work out what are possible implications of what they'll agree to. And you kind of go down that road. But then you're like, well, now I'm preparing for 10 different off-seasons under different environments. Right. That's, that's impossible. Yeah, that, that seems like it has the potential to make you feel both more prepared and more exhausted because you're not going to end up actually living in any one but one reality. <laughs> and then you're like, well, I know what we would do in nine other timelines. So that's nice, but I haven't slept in 24 days. I mean, speaking of you, I would imagine by this point you're so tired, you probably feel like you're living in multiple different realities at once. It's a weird thing because, like, you know, more baseball is good and you want people to be engaged with the sport. And, like, I don't think that the perspective on the postseason that, like, the managing editors of baseball publications have is the one that we should be catering to because there are very few of us and we're going to be tired no matter what. So it's a weird thing. I want – it would be nice if the series went seven and we got more games because, um, you know, we do have this looming – well, we don't know if it's a cliff. It might be um it might be a slight uh depression it might be like uh, when when fans have to adjust to the elevated basketball courts and eat shit as they try to step down you know like <laughs> we don't know we don't know how far the fall could go we just don't know or how long it might last how long it could take to recover from we just don't know any of these things so we have to say we're just gonna run our top 50 free agent post on monday the 8th and you know hopefully people remember it and you know every year people complain like how can the baseball offseason isn't like the football or the basketball offseason where everything happens in two days and you know what the long enough work stoppage it will so everybody well, can get their dream and this is the thing like i i prefer a steady sort of stream of news because I don't I don't understand that perspective either. We have a day like that. It's the trade deadline. <laughs> like you guys, we have a day where everything happens in a span of a couple chaotic hours and like I end up working from six in the morning till nine at night. And like that's fine. We can do that one time. But wouldn't you rather like every day you get to go check and say, oh, there's where Corey Seeger signed and Carlos Correa went there and Max Scherzer is a what now? Like, you know, and having having one of those a day so that everybody gets a nice steady trickle of news and I get to sleep more and we don't <laughs> compress everything into one month. Like, I think that having a a, a regular a running signing period is is nice like it makes you steadily excited for the sport i think it makes it a lot easier to remember like where everybody signs you have fewer moments of being like oh that guy's a that guy's a rocky now that's wild not just to pick a team i don't know like once spring training rolls around you're also getting into like opening day mode and you know that's challenging enough on its own we don't need to have two months back to back that are very very busy but that might be what we end up with this year if we if we end up playing a full 162 i'll just i'll be happy can come in whatever form. don't compress the off season spoken by the completely unbiased perspective of a baseball publications managing editor yeah yeah i mean it's it's effectively a sports sense marshmallow test right like people just want everything at once they want right. the instant gratification and then they want to not think about baseball for three months which guess right. what you already can you don't right. have to follow everything as it happens anyway you can just kind of poke your head in in the middle of june and be like oh this team has 30 wins and these yeah. players and that's fine i don't know how people engage with 
baseball. I don't know what today's youth are doing. I don't want to get into that conversation, but like, <laughs> what the hell? We're already so screwed up in our understanding of how people engage with baseball anyway, because the yeah. people we see are like, I work for a team and you work for a, a publication. Right. So, like, I don't know what what is an average fan like. If you saw, what is the average fan's experience? I have a fan, uh, a friend here who's a, uh, a lifelong Giants fan, and he watched like three games before the playoffs. He just kind of like checked in every so often, and yeah. he would send me texts every so often, being like, "Giants are better than you said they'd be." And it's like, yeah, they're better than everyone said they'd yeah. be. But like, he wasn't like <laughs> buying new gear. This wasn't a uniquely Jeff failing. <laughs> like we were all surprised by the Giants. <laughs> yeah, I like. I don't know if I wanted to lie and say like, oh, our math had them figured out immediately. We knew they'd win 130 games. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not that brilliant. Yeah, I think that. Well, and I think that it's useful for us to remember when, whenever we're having discourse, um, whether it's about like when free agents should sign or what the game should look like on the field. Like there are a lot of different ways to engage with the sport and I think people do engage with it in a lot of different ways and so uh, that doesn't mean that we can't tinker with it or change it like I you know I advocated for pitch clocks at the beginning of this episode but I think it is useful to remember that there are a lot of different modes of fandom and I don't think we're going to satisfy all of them in any given moment but it's nice that we satisfy all of them in some moments um, and I think that the game is flexible enough to allow us to do that. So, you know, that's okay. People don't have to experience the offseason the way that I do. We have prospect lists. We've got Hall of Fame content. The Hall of Fame, but it never sleeps, Jeff. Uh, in this house, it sleeps all the time. <laughs> but, you know, like there's there are normal beats to the season. And guys sign so late in the last couple of years anyway that I do wonder how different it will actually end up feeling when we get to a point where free agents can sign and teams start to trade actively again. And again, uh, like you, I I don't know, man. We don't know. We just don't know <laughs> what we're going to get. But I do wonder how different it will actually end up feeling when it's all said and done because we've spent a lot of off seasons where we don't end up with marquee guys signing until, you know, December or January. Sometimes it it pushes into February. We had that one year where like all the free agents signed in the same week and then literally everyone in baseball signed a freaking extension. <laughs> I think you had left. I left uh, right before Machado and Harper signed, which was great timing yeah. uh, on my part. Yeah. I don't think about that every week. It's fine. I think that you had <laughs> you had uh, signed with uh, Tampa right before the Machado-Harper stuff. And then again, like literally every guy seemingly signing an extension. It was quite a busy little transaction period. And we were also doing- Nola, Severino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think um, Bregman signed his extension at that point. Like it was that- it was that year of that block of them. And I think we were also hiring at that time. Like we were doing a contributor call at the site. And I we had to push an interview. I was like, I'm sorry, but I literally have to edit a Bryce Harper signing react. Like I can't like you're important, but also I have to do this right now. So um, I don't remember who that was, but whichever candidate was, uh, thank you for being accommodating. I don't remember if it was someone we ended up hiring or not. I think so it was blur- Bryce Harper. It was Bryce is like, I understand. Stand. I am also now busy. Got a <laughs> got a different deal. Have to withdraw my name from consideration. Well, he had a long off season of uh, so he's like, well, I'll pass the time by blogging. Right. I would support some off season player blogging. You know, if Seth Jolivan wanted to blog in the off season, that would also be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Jolivan doesn't know how to write more than four hundred words anymore. 
It is amazing how quickly the uh, the muscle atrophies. I ended up taking uh, two of our gamers this this postseason because they were like Saturday night games and folks were busy. And I was like, this feels like a thing that I have to you know train. I have to stand in front of. And uh, let me tell you, you're never so humble as you are at one in the morning when you're like, oh right, writing is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I should have filed this hours ago. The other yeah. the other day, I was writing something uh, about who cares what. And I uh, I posted it in Slack, which is where everything goes. And yep. I had never seen this before, but Slack like broke it up in the middle and posted oh. it as two things, which I didn't like because I had attached images and it, this was this whole thing. Who cares? Yeah. Thought important. But then I was like, what? why did it do this? And I was like, oh, 900 word count. All right. I really oh, did it. Yeah. That's like a full post at Fangraphs. We wouldn't make you Instagraphs that. You could just <laughs> run a full post. I definitely like if if whatever things end up going some weird path and then I end up writing again, I definitely foresee a future where I'm, everything becomes Instagram's length. Yeah. When Kevin joined the site, I was like, it's going to take you a little while. It's fine. Like you're going <laughs> to it's going to take some time to get back up to writing every day and at length like it just does. It atrophies so fast. You know, it's fun. And this is I, this is not related to anything, really. But in terms of a thing that like all baseball fans can engage with and appreciate and really enjoy that's happening in the playoffs is like, you know, when a game ends in the World Series of the playoffs and you write a recap, it's hard to find a hook, right? Because like, yeah. games are games are games and usually nothing too crazy happens. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't know. This guy struck out. Too bad for him. But like, I think it was Devin Fink who wrote about this this morning and like Tom Verducci had written about it. But like Martin Maldonado just moving up in the box to, yeah. and, and drawing that walk. Like, that's great. That I, who knows what impact yeah. like his little thing had on the at bat, but like what a fun yes. little like this doesn't happen in games. It's so little league, such yep. an easy thing to do. It it makes you appreciate the strategy. It makes you think about what the implication was. It makes you think about bigger implications. Like what if everybody scootered yeah. up? I don't know. Maybe everyone would walk. Like yeah. that is that is like prime fun postseason content. Yeah, love that stuff. Yeah, it does. It gives you, I think fewer nuggets than people would assume because everyone's like the stakes are so high everyone cares like this is the baseball that we all remember but you're right it's like this is a gamer like the stakes are high but the game still happens like baseball does and sometimes that means you get something really thrilling and sometimes you get a four-hour clunker and like you still have to write a game story about it because it's the world series whereas if that game happened in june we would never talk about it (laughs) right like fangraphs would not devote feature coverage to that it just wouldn't happen but it does give you like it gives you fun little things along the way where it's like oh you know jay gets to write about how many inexperienced relatively inexperienced pitchers have started games like here you go with that you know um yeah devin gets to write about martin maldonado and like everyone's really fascinated by that stuff because because it's the world series whereas before you might be like oh do we need to write about Martin Maldonado? Don't we know? No, usually not. Except usually for like, not. it's it's interesting that the Astros have kept around because of his service line, and you're yeah. like, well, obviously he has some some other qualities that are very positive. But like, yep. just that little move and like him recognizing, like, I'm probably not going to get a hit. Right. <laughs> I'm going to try to do something else. Like, it's yep. it's great. Every single part of it is great, unless you're uh, an Atlanta fan. But even there, right. you have to appreciate. Like, this is weird. Yeah, you, you surely you can appreciate the the strategy. I mean, maybe not like right now, but in a couple <laughs> weeks, you'll be like, oh yeah, that Martin Maldonado thing was good. I'm glad you reminded me of a Rosarino stealing home because I had forgotten that, and I was so excited about it at the moment. In the moment, I was like, this is the best baseball. Oh yeah, rocks. I was. I mean, a Rosarino stealing home in game one, and then Luplo hitting a grand slam in yeah. game two. Like I, I had the World Series video like g- being edited in my head, and I was Aww. like, we've got our first two highlights, and I'll tell you what. 
two highlights. Yeah. That's what the video package is. And well, one ball off the wall in Fenway Park. Yeah, I mean, they were they were highlights, though. At least the ball off the wall in Fenway doesn't get to be anyone else's highlight. Like, that's <laughs> something, I guess, right? I strongly regret bringing that play up in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I was not very happy about it in the Aww. apartment. Well, Jeff, I'm, I'm mindful of the time and that you have to um, go back to doing baseball stuff, even if uh, we won't see the effects of that baseball stuff for a couple of months. But I would say, what do you have to plug? But you have the Rays to plug as like a franchise to root for. So instead, I will ask, is there any pop culture that you have engaged with recently that you've really liked that our listeners should should consider uh, as the offseason approaches here? I just <laughs> We just watched It Follows the other day, which has been out for like seven years. So I'm probably not the right person to ask. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm like woefully behind on, on TV. I make time for Bake Off because it makes me feel happy when I have to work late. Wait, why, why are you so sleepy today when there was no World Series yesterday? I know there's like a full editing schedule, but I hope that you caught up on a little bit of sleep. I did. I got like, I went to bed at like 9.30 last night. <laughs> ah, I went to bed at 9. Beat you. Yeah, I went to bed at like 9.30 last night and then woke up at, at like 7.15 to run the site. So I did get a full night's sleep last night, which was great and, and sorely needed. But it's like, you know, it's like the the cumulative effect of the month, I think, is really yeah. what wears on you. And to be clear, like my job, it's not like I'm... I'm not plowing a field or mining <laughs> coal or anything, but like I have worked probably 35 days in a row. <laughs> I mean, this is this as I'm sure as people can understand if they give it a moment's thought, like when the Cubs won the World Series in seven games or like when the Astros beat the Dodgers in that crazy World Series yeah. seven games. Like I remember, you know, of course, being in, in a position not unlike yours and seeing that stuff happen. And like the more historic it gets, I remember just thinking like, yeah. Oh, I have to work so much harder on this. Yeah. To do, give it its its due. But yeah. like, just as as a fan, as you're watching this stuff take place, just understand the media that's covering it. They're all very tired. Yeah, they're all tired. It's a long month. Yeah, it's a great job, and even great jobs make you tired. So you know, we uh, fully admit to the first thing while also acknowledging the second. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's I don't know. Like we'll just uh, we'll just rest eventually. Probably. We'll sleep when we're dead. I don't know. We're all trying to sleep more, but we fail pretty often. (laughs) Okay, so I guess as a plug, I don't know when this is going to go up, but it's maybe before Game 6 in the World Series. Those of you listening, if you could just write your local congressperson and get them to maybe submit that the Rays should still be in the World Series, we could... Oh, okay. uh, I would... I don't want to, I mean, I, we haven't had meetings about this, but I think it would be super. So yeah. Those of you who are feeling a little sympathetic for the cause, maybe uh, maybe pitch in a little bit and together we can do this. Yeah. You want some legislative intervention. That makes sense. You'd need a, a couple days pause, right, to get everyone back together because I imagine that players have gone home to their off-season homes, but I, it seems it seems possible that you could just get the band back together for another game or two yeah we could uh we could fold it into a budget reconciliation bill <laughs> well i'm not gonna top that so we can end there jeff thank you so much for joining me thank you that'll do it for today you can support effectively wild on patreon by going to patreon.com effectively wild following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going keep us ad free and get access to a few special perks jacob pribnow jay 
Just check. Neil Campaign, Sandy Cantor, and Derek Ma. Thanks so much. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for us coming via email at podcast at fangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you're a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. I'll be back later this week with new guest co-hosts and new episodes. Until then, enjoy the last bit of the World Series. 